politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for everything that matters. And what matters? Life, liberty, property, culture, sovereignty, security. It is all on the line. And we all need a plan on how to deal with it. You know, yesterday I talked about the fact that the left is winning by default and we just focus on polls. But today I'll actually demonstrate that Republicans never had more potential opportunity, and we certainly never had more tailwinds at our backs when it comes to several issues. And I want to focus on maybe a few of them, border, Iran, Israel, foreign policy, terrorism, again, not in a neocon way, but in the right way, and the economy. The fact that people are feeling the crunch, Black Friday was a dud, And yet we have no leadership. We don't have the critical mass of people in elected positions willing to do what's right. We have the budget. We keep kicking down the road. We have the NDAA, the Defense Authorization Bill. We could hold up both of them, draw a line in the sand on these three issues for which we have supermajority support for, yet Republicans will not do anything. So later today, we will have... Our next in our series of Meet the Candidates, a person that we badly need to fill the ranks of Congress to replace the Deadwood Republican uh, jerks that are holding us down. Very few other people are doing this. I'm going to try to spotlight them. But for now, it is Tuesday, the 28th of November. See our podcast, your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today. So I want to kind of go through a briefing of all those three things um, you know, first, kind of where things stand in Congress as it relates to the border, but also Israel-Iran terrorism. Imagine if we had a party where we had the House and Senate Republican leaders, backed by you know all their members, would say, "We will not fund Biden's border invasion. We will not fund Iran's war against Israel." We will not handcuff Israel. We will not fund more immigration into America from those parts of the world. We will not fund the inflation. Very simple things that people understand. Instead, it's like, well, we need some deals on supplementals. I'm going to read to you a little bit from uh, the border, border talks. They have this gang of six in the Senate with James Lankford from Oklahoma and Tillis from North Carolina involved. The bipartisan Senate group negotiating border and immigration policy changes spoke with uh, Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas over the weekend as senators inch closer to a potential deal that would clear the way for aid to both Ukraine and Israel. What appears to be off the table is a GOP demand to restore a Trump-era policy that barred migrants from seeking asylum if they had already passed through another country. (laughs) So in other words, Republicans are merely saying, could you give us some border funding, no policy changes, so we get border funding. That's what we get, and we don't get anything because that actually gives DHS more funding to continue the invasion. And in return, here's more money for Israel, more money for Ukraine. 
So Ukraine obviously is insane, but it, when it comes to Israel and the border, they're actually similar in the respect that they're policy problems, they're not money problems. Biden is waging war on Israel. He's waging war on our border. His war needs to stop. And Republicans need to withhold funding for the State Department and DHS until they stop the war on Israel's border and certainly the war on our border. But instead, it's just about beam counting funding. Johnson said Monday as the speaker that he is already in touch with senators about the border talks and he expressed a willingness to help Ukraine fend off Russia's invasion by approving more U.S. military aid. But House GOP conservatives, many of whom vehemently oppose any new Ukraine funding, are certain to argue that the Senate's bipartisan border deal doesn't go far enough. Senate Majority Whip John Thune, this is the guy who will probably take over after McConnell, said it will be incumbent upon Senate Republicans to push back against the narrative. If we can move a bill out of here that gets a good, strong Republican vote then I think it helps significantly in trying to get it across the finish line in the House. He's busy undermining the House rather than fighting the Democrats. That's the number two guy who will be the number one guy in the Senate. The party has not changed one iota since Trump, since 2016. And then even in the House, it's like a milk toast version of the Senate Republicans. And it's like, yeah, you have some guys in the Freedom Caucus, Chip Roy, he'll yell about it. And it all gets back to the same problem. We don't have enough voices. But the public is on to the scam in Ukraine. The public, despite what you see on social media and Gen Z retards, support Israel over Iran. Again, that doesn't mean we nuke on them. That means we stop Obama's war on them. Biden's war, I guess Obama's still running the show. So that was maybe a Freudian slip. But folks, you're never going to get more tailwinds on all of these issues. On the border. A new Siena College poll, and I know I talked about polls yesterday, but I think issue polling is different than the electoral polling. 84% of New Yorkers consider the influx of illegals to be a serious problem. 64% New Yorkers, that is, fault the Biden admin for it. Only 29% approve of his handling of the issue. Steve Greenberg, a Siena College pollster, explained, quote, Seldom do we see an issue. Seldom do we see an issue where at least 79% of Democrats, Republicans, Indies, men, women, upstaters, downstaters, blacks, whites, Latinos, Catholics, Jews, and Protestants all agree that the migrant influx is a serious problem. And it's obvious. I mean, you look at Chicago. There's some data from CWB Chicago, a great crime watch outlet, and we're going to be talking to um, one from Minneapolis tomorrow about the whole Derek Chauvin stabbing and the the documentary Fall of Minneapolis. But anyway, as if we don't have enough domestic criminals, Chicago Police Department, they arrested six Venezuelans in 2021. They arrested 26 Venezuelans for crimes, so a lot more, but still a small number, in 2022. This year, as of November 14th, they arrested 686 people from Venezuela for various crimes, shoplifting, some violent crimes. That is what we are bringing in. And by the way, to have nearly 700 arrests of Venezuelans in one year is astounding because the estimates are that roughly 21,000 Venezuelans came. <laughs> I mean, that, that that that's a rate of what? Like... You know, 
one in close to one in 30, one in close to one in 30 <laughs> arrested for crimes. That's the type of riffraff we're bringing in. It's a very high percentage. Chicago PD recently warned that the violent members of El Tren de Aragua are likely among the new arrivals. That's the Venezuelan prison gang because Maduro let you know let out his prisons to come here. So the public feels it. This is the thing. This is in the cities. You'll never get a more important issue to focus on, but you'll never get an issue for which you have more tailwinds. The public gets it. You would pound the lectern every day with the hearings, with media events, but then all driving towards harnessing public attention on a budget fight. And you say, when's the next deadline? It's, it's February 2nd now. We will not kick the can down the road anymore. No funding for catch and release before we even get to state deportation, which should be in there as well. And by the way, you know, people in blue cities would support this. This is the GOP 1854 Whig moment. This is their Kansas-Nebraska Act moment. If you cannot fight on something so fundamental, but also so easy to fight on, there is no purpose to having this party. And it appears they can't fight on it because they don't want to. They don't care. They just don't care. So that's what I want to make very clear. We all talk about the border. But this is it. This is their Waterloo. Um, and this is the time where we need to finally say either fish or cut bait. We need to change strategies. But I just want you guys to know it doesn't have to be this way. Imagine if you had a shutdown fight where you're driving national attention. Why is the government shut down? Because they are Biden is funding the invasion of gangs and criminals and terrorists into every one of your cities. Look at the polling in freaking New York and Chicago. Imagine kind of the middle of the road swing areas. This is a sort of strategy that would change the game. So we're not talking about Trump's personal issues. We're talking about that. But instead, you have the feckless Republican Party mixed with Trump's personality. We get the lowest common denominator of both. And that's just where we are today. Now, Before I forget, our sponsor today again is Patriot Academy. Okay, folks, so there is three weeks left to our trip December 18th um, to Patriot Academy where we go on our four-day constitutional defensive handgun course where we learn everything from marksmanship to safety awareness, drawing from the holster, clearing malfunctions, a $2,000 course for just 400 bucks. This is just unbelievable. PatriotAcademy.com slash Daniel. I look forward to seeing all of you. Now, those of you that just couldn't make it out, go to their website, PatriotAcademy.com slash Daniel. You will see basically every other week throughout the winter and spring. And, and by the way, I wouldn't worry about the the cold weather. I'd worry about more the heat in the summer. Um, you know, it's, it's, you work hard out there on the range. It's better to be a little cool than, than hot. Um, obviously early spring would be very nice there. Uh, but I don't know when I'm going to go out again. I, I just haven't had that plan. So, you know, it would be great to meet you guys, meet other members of the audience. But if you just want to take the course and you can't make it December 18th, there's plenty of other dates where they do the same thing. I'm constantly doing so a lot of good dates there. Uh, if you want to take off. Uh, time from work if you're able to take off at a different time 
um, look, or if you have time where your kids are off of school, uh, you can look on their website, the age. It might be 12 or 13, but they, they go pretty young. You could take your kids. And uh, by the way, kids are really good when you train them into muscle memory um, at a young age. My 11-year-old, I mean, I have him shooting off the reset, getting getting it right in the X on the target, uh, five to seven yards away, uh, rapid fire, and uh, you know that that's the time to really train them. The younger they are, the better. The the guys that come out young, these teenagers do great on this course. Um, but you all will again, Daniel uh, PatriotAcademy.com slash Daniel. So Biden screwed with our borders, and now he's screwing with Israel's borders. Again, winning issue. Biden hasn't even gotten all the release of American hostages after pressuring Israel. Um, he rather than pressure pressure and cutter, he pressures Israel. The Biden administration, what they're doing is abhorrent. Fourteen hundred Jews were slaughtered. Again, we don't need to embrace them and adopt them as a fifty-first state. Just let them do what they were starting to do. And now he is saving Hamas. It is the most disgusting things I've ever seen in the world. They're impo- trying to impose a permanent ceasefire. See, Hamas did this on purpose. They slaughtered fourteen hundred people, and then they took two hundred fifty prisoners the reason why did they take the prisoners they you know had no gumption about slaughtering and butchering people why keep them alive for exactly this moment because if you kill the equivalent of 30,000 what is it 30 40,000 Americans uh, drawn to scale for the Israeli population uh you're talking about you know the, the you know, normal country would just destroy you after that so then that's why they took the hostages and Biden, the Biden admins basically saying look we'll get them for you because, you know, they, they have Hamas on speed dial with all the Hamas spies running the administration. But, you know, y- you will not destroy Hamas. So then, you know, what's the point? What's the point? You, you, you've you done nothing. Um, and then, ironically, not only are they screwing them with that, but they're allowing Hamas, of course, to break the rules, as always. They're allowing a low-intensity conflict the same way they're doing up north. So, so far during the ceasefire, Hamas has fired rockets at Israeli civilians. They detonated three bombs targeting uh, IDF troops. They opened fire on uh, Israeli soldiers. They violated the conditions of hostage for prisoner deal by refusing to release mothers and children together. So you'll have like a mother left there and the kid is released alone. They denied the Red Cross permission to visit the remaining hostages um, they refused to release the youngest baby, and they held over 170 more civilians, subjecting them to minimal food and torture. And that is all fine. And the Biden administration is now trying to impose not just, oh, you can't support Hamas, but that Hamas benefits from this, that their junior partner, Fatah, which was the original PLO terrorist. I mean, remember everything from the 1970s, you know, Black September, all that stuff. That was done by Fatah, not Hamas. Hamas wasn't created till something like 1989. And uh, the Biden admin wants them to get their own state. And we're going to spend billions of dollars at a, at a State Department level promoting that. All those diplomatic missions need to be defunded. Very simple. And Israel's in a really tough position because, like I've said before, We've made them reliant on American defense contractors for for various weapon systems. That deal needs to be renegotiated 
So we're not constantly funding them, but they are not constantly dependent on America and our disgusting government, which doesn't reflect the people, at least on this issue. Uh, and they need to be able to do what they need to do. And what Biden is doing, siding with Hamas, Qatar, Iran, it, it's so easy to fight. Now, look, Republicans do have a standalone bill today in the House freezing $6 billion of Iranian assets. But again, if you don't fight for these provisions in the NDAA, the Defense Authorization Bill, and the Budget Bill, you're done. But of course, you know, Republicans are busy saying how, oh, we need to block, you know, end Tuberville's blockade on the military promotions, and we need to get on with it. And as appalling as Senate Republicans are, you take Mike Johnson in the House, it's one or two levels down. But still no firm commitment to, we're not asking them with control of just the House to remake Social Security and remake the healthcare system, complicated issues, remake the tax code. We're not asking that. We're not asking that at all. All we ask is that simply, simply, you take the 70, 30, 80, 20 issues and just simply fight for them. You know, what, what am I supposed to say? Just fight for them. But no, they won't. And that's my point. It, it, it's not just a, a, you know, a matter of values. It's even on paper. Every Republican, there's no Republican who supports Iran. Like privately, if you get them on, on crime and even some areas of immigration, we all know Republicans haven't changed. Certainly Ukraine, they're out in the open on that. But on Iran and Israel, every Republican really is solid on it ideologically. But even where you can get them in the right position, there is no strategic leadership because we're stuck with the same old jerks. We, we don't even have voices like Gert Wilders, big victory there in um, the Netherlands, who got up there and said Jordan is Palestine, which is historically true. Right? People forget that the Balfour Declaration 1917, what's modern day roughly Israel and Jordan, a little bit of Syria, was supposed to be part of the Jewish state. Um, when the British were going to hand off the mandate and you know redraw the maps, and instead 85% of that property was given to an Arab state, and the Jewish state was left with west of the Jordan. Um, so they they already ceded that, and then now they're coming for the remaining 15-20%. They already basically got Gaza and a big part of Judea and Samaria, which they shouldn't have, and they want to come, of course, for the remaining tiny bit. So, um, you know, again, this is just... Such an opportunity we have on this issue. An another point I want I want to point out on this that that we need to raise awareness to is the shipping lanes. Iran and their proxies are attacking ships left and right. Again, I am not into you know putting boots on the ground in the Middle East, and we need to get away from that. But shipping lanes is something long before the neocons, dating back to Madison, we protected them from the beginning of our founding. I mean, you can't have them doing that. CENTCOM confirmed that on November 27th, two ballistic missiles were fired from Houthi-controlled areas in Yemen toward the location of the USS Mason. And, and, and this, this ship called the Central Park USS Mason, an Arleigh Burke-class destroyer assigned to the Eisenhower Carrier Strike Group, was responding to an attempt by an unknown entity to hijack this Central Park ship, which is a Liberian flag tanker. 
The crew of the Central Park barricaded themselves into the tanker's uh, armored panic room. So eventually the hijackers, hijackers did leave as the USS Mason and then a Japanese warship closed in on them. Five pirates were captured, and there are Somali pirates. On November 14th, the Houthis threatened to sink commercial uh, vessels. And basically, the International Maritime Security Construct issued a warning for all vessels passing through the Babal uh, Mandad Strait and the, and the Red Sea. And of course, on November 19th, we talked about that before, the Houthis hijacked the Galaxy Leader Bahamian-flagged cargo ship. Um, and then on November 23rd, they unsuccessfully attacked a Malta-flagged uh, container ship in the Indian Ocean. Obviously, they, they, they went after, I think, another Israeli ship. They've been firing missiles at Israel. We need to create a kill zone in the sea. You don't need to occupy. We have the air and naval power to create a kill zone. That anything that gets into an area by Iranian proxies is dead. Okay? I mean, because shipping lanes have to be kept open. But this is the thing. There is no vision, even on issues, all this stuff we agree to. The border, they talk about this. Iran, they talk about. But nothing changes. And then, of course, there's the economy. The economy. Everyone knows the government CPI numbers and jobs numbers and GDP numbers are bunk. There's an amazing article out for the, from the New York Times on how the Biden administration themselves know that basically the government CPI numbers are a joke. A complete joke. Because they're paying more. They know it. Is it that hard to show how the Biden regulations and what they're doing on energy and the endless inflationary spending and printing of money is making it hard for the American people to afford vital goods and services? Is it that hard to talk about the quality of life issues? You just don't hear that moral sense of purpose and then using the leverage points to drive it like a hammer into an anvil. They don't do it. But it's so easy. And by the way, uh, <laughs> very apropos here, um, we're sponsored today by Birch Gold. Where is this? I got to find you this article. I was looking here. Um, just real quick. I'm just kind of going to do an ad and uh, content all in one. So the Treasury is about to borrow another $776 billion in the final months of the year. Another $816 billion for the three months of next year. We're, we're pushing $34 trillion now. $2.5 trillion since McCarthy's greatest tax cuts, uh, spending cuts ever just in June. And... Central banks are now accelerating a nine-year-old trend of buying gold and selling USTs. The shift from USTs to gold as primary global reserve asset continues. Since 2018, gold has quietly outperformed long-term USTs by 75%. Hirschman Capital observes that in 2020, over the past 120 years, 
98% of countries where sovereign debt GDP hit 130% defaulted on their debt. Well, U.S. hit that during COVID. So, folks, now is the time to invest in gold. I recommend Birch Gold by texting Daniel to 989898. You'll get a free info kit on how to convert your IRA or 401k. We're just weeks away from tax season where you know you could save about 6500 per spouse from the government taxation, or at least for now, um, rather than putting it in the stock market casino, put it into something of value because now is the time that, I mean, China's investing like anything, and they're actually smart on that. So again, text Daniel to 989898 today to claim your free info kit. So anyway, what did I want to say here? Um, the A couple things. First of all, um, you know what's interesting? The S&P 500, if you take the top seven, top seven, they're up more than 50% this year. You take the bottom 493, they're essentially flat. We have an economy run by a handful of companies, and that's what venture socialism is. So the American people feel this. There's a great article um, from the New York Times that, where are the numbers here? Even Biden voters know the economy is terrible. Again, Black Friday sales are down. The deals were horrible, by the way, because people can't afford anything. In a recent New York Times-Siena College poll of exclusively Biden voters in six battleground states, 62% of those voters think the economy is only fair or poor, including 70% of those who earn under 50K and 65% of women Biden voters. Again, you're not going to get brain-dead people. But in terms of people in the middle, the economy is still bad. Republicans continue losing. And... For all this talk about Roe v. Wade and abortion, okay, there's a reason why, there's a reason why it, it sticks. At various times in history, you have winning issues and you have losing issues. But if you're constantly, it's, it's kind of like a boat, you know, with a motor on it, sailing in the wind. The, the wind might slow you down, a headwind, but if you have a motor, you power through it. Republicans lack a motor. They don't have an agenda and a messaging apparatus and certainly an outcome apparatus, policy outcome apparatus, on winning issues, on inflation, on, on Iran and terrorism and immigration, all this stuff, crime. So what happens is, naturally, if you have nothing, then yeah. I mean, the Democrats, their attacks on, you know, you're going to go and take a woman who was raped and make her get, have a baby, that's going to that's gonna land. But it doesn't have to be that way. Imagine if they had a message on abundance versus scarcity. They want things to be scarce. They want inflation. They want things regulated that you can't get quality products for cheap. We want abundance. And run on that message. You know, in a random act of journalism, as Rush Limbaugh used to say, where is this? From Bloomberg. They actually went through a basket of goods and just show, they just show how we're just getting crushed. And they say that it's hard to find an area of the household budget that's been spared. Groceries are up 25% since January 2020. Same with electricity. Used car prices have climbed 35%. Auto insurance, 33%. Rents up 20%. And that's why the public doesn't buy all these government reports. 
The government data that shows easing inflation are cold comfort because they simply indicate prices are growing at a slower pace, not that they're returning to early 2020 levels. Boom, that's the money quote. At the same time, housing affordability is the worst on record. Auto loan rates have soared, and borrowing with a credit card has never been so expensive. So groceries, a pound of beef now costs $5.23 on average, up from $3.89 just pre-COVID. Coffee is up $2 a pound. Fresh fruits and veggies are up nearly 14%. So that's the story. A four-person household spent on average $238 in October 2020. Now it's $315, up 32%. And again, to the extent that the rate of increase is slowing, that has to do with our inching towards a recession. There's a lot of signs on that. Housing. I mean, that we don't even need to say. Housing is insane. Um, according to the Atlanta Fed, it takes 44.7% of pre-tax median income to own median price home. In other words, you can't afford it. The eight lowest index readings of affordability in history have all occurred since June 2022. Now, remember, of course, all this was put into place by the Trump spendathon. Um, car insurance is crazy. I mean, one after another. Chicken dishes up 32%, burgers up 23%, pasta up 14%, pizza up 17%. And uh, there you go. There you go. Meanwhile, Incomes certainly have not kept up with that. Is it that hard? That's what I'm saying. See, in the past, Democrats were the ones saying, it's not fair, people need to afford. Now they were pushing soft socialism, but their messaging was harder to fight because it's hard to compete against people who want to give free stuff. Now, what we're fighting against is not liberalism or even socialism. It's demonic. They're openly advocating for scarcity. Is it that hard to win elections against that? But they're not willing to use the leverage points to harness national attention. They might run an ad here or there for office once you get into the election. Oh, yeah, inflation's high, whatever. There's no consistent narrative on any winning issue. Nothing. Now, by the way, it doesn't have to be this way. So Americans for Prosperity just endorsed Nikki Haley. I've, I have it on good word that in, their internal data shows the opposite, that Nikki Haley cannot win, that DeSantis is actually going up, but their donors will not let them support anyone but Nikki, which demonstrates the establishment is still there. So the base is supporting Trump, and, 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 and but the party apparatus still supports Nikki Haley, so you have the worst of both working together to elect Trump, because obviously Nikki is not going to win. All that will do is harm DeSantis. And again, it just shows you the fact that after eight years, nine years of the Trump movement, nothing has changed. The same donors, they're driving the same agenda. It's just you have the people, you know, there's a collection of people. Oh, you're the COVID person. You're the January 6th person. You go on, you make a living. You you, you go on Bannon's show. You go on this show. And I, you know, I like Bannon. Bannon likes me. He calls me the George Will of America first. Um, but, you know, they kind of go on and, and they all get high on each other's talking points. But meanwhile, the party has not changed. 
And, you know, when you, when you talk about why we're losing, even when we're winning on the issues, but losing the elections, it's because we have a, a Republican Party that stands for something, and then we have Trump's problematic image. There's a two-minute clip I want to play for you of DeSantis at a recent town hall event, about two minutes here, where he explains why he believes he succeeded in Florida despite being much more conservative than kind of the median voter and how he won Palm Beach County, all these people that probably aren't happy with the repeal of Roe v. Wade, but why it didn't hurt him. Take a listen right here. There are differences about the future of the country. Uh, what we did in Florida, I think, was, you know, we won big battles against the far left. We beat them on the on the COVID stuff where they wanted to close our schools. I kept them open. Uh, we kept businesses open. We fought against the vax mandates. Uh, we won big battles on criminal uh, on criminal law where we we're holding criminals accountable. No defund police. All that very important. We won big battles on illegal immigration and education and all those things. But we did that in a way that appealed to Republicans, the vast majority of independents, and even some Democrats. So that's how you take a state that was a 50-50 state, and we won it by, by 20 points, a million and a half votes, because we're delivering results for people regardless uh, of their political party. Uh, I'm going to fight the big fights. I think this, the, this wokeness and this far left, uh, it will destroy this country if they're in charge. You've seen it destroy San Francisco and Philadelphia and these places. So you got to win on those. But you also have to understand that if I have somebody that agrees with me um, on on 80 percent and disagrees on 20, that's a friend. I mean, like you got to you got to want to work with them. But even the people that disagree with you on 80, they agree with you on the 20. We can fight about the 80, but I'm willing to work with you on the 20 to move the ball forward. I mean, ultimately, are we are we producing results or not? And that's just how I generate things. And so uh, we're going to take strong stands uh, as a leader. You're never going to be able to please everybody. But what I'm not going to do is unnecessarily, you know, try to create division. I'm not going to be out there tweeting at three in the morning, you know, stuff. I'm not going to be doing this stuff. I'm just going to be a leader that is going to have his eye on the ball, is going to be very disciplined, focused, nose to the grindstone, know that you got a shot to make a difference, and we've got to do what we can to make a difference. So so I think you'll see a different approach than we've had in our more recent presidents. Uh, I think it'll be more effective approach uh, than we've seen in our recent presidents, and I think that that'll make a big difference. So I appreciate the question. Okay, folks. So... He doesn't unnecessarily create division. He'll fight to the death on the issue, but he's not going to sit and tweet personal attacks, this and that. And he's like, notice this point when you have someone that you agree with on 20%. He's talking about literally today's show. You might have a lot of like liberals, but you know they're somewhat liberal, but they're like, whoa, the border is getting crazy. Or look, I don't support Iran, some of these pro-Israel Democrats. You go full bore on that and you accomplish things. But instead, we're getting the opposite. We're getting anyone who disagrees with one thing they don't like about the party, they vote against it. An effective leader you would have is someone that you're, you're pushing all of it and you're being successful and you're not getting distracted on needless divisions on things that you don't need to be divided on, a.k.a. personality politics, and you pick off the other way around. It doesn't have to be this way. Iran, crime, border, inflation... If we only harness this, had the right message at the right time, the right way with the right leverage points, 
we could crush the left. We really could. You know, in many respects, it's like, it's almost like we're like to the left what Israel is to Hamas. They have the weaponry to destroy them, but you, you, you lack the political will. I mean, some of it is not their fault. They're pressured. America owns them. But uh, we're the same way. We have, the left is so crazy, we have enough issues to, to beat them on. But we won't. We have no leadership. And, and why is that? Because we have few people actually trying to change the party, but I actually am. So, as I've said many times, change doesn't happen on its own. I mean, I've been doing this my entire career. Everyone's like, it's terrible. I'll look at how many voted for the debt ceiling and the budget and how many times these Republicans screw us on uh, you know, Ukraine and the vaccines and this and that and the border and immigration and crime. And you go through one primary after another and people sleep. Then we had 2016. It was like, oh my gosh, now there's a change in the movement. There's a MAGA movement. And literally we went backwards. We went backwards to this day. There's no focus on anything. Um, there is no coherent movement to say, look, these Republicans are problems. These ones who voted for gay marriage. We talked about that at the time. We shouldn't vote for these people in a general election. Yet, even in primaries, we don't even have primaries. And then when people do run, we ignore them. And these guys continue to win with 70% of the vote. And more often than not, Trump endorses them. And you look at the, the current House. It's a narrow majority. But it's the same majority that the Democrats had when they accomplished more than anyone ever accomplished two years ago. You never heard this problem. Eh, Democrats have this narrow majority. Not much they can do. And it's because of people like Tony Gonzalez. So there's this guy, District 23. And this is a very important district. Because this is the entirety of the southwest part of Texas. It's the largest border district in the entire country. So pretty meaningful. And we literally have a guy that invoked pseudo-scripture to oppose Chip Roy's border bill. And it simply wasn't brought even brought to the floor, much less put in the budget bill, because of this man, Tony Gonzalez, by the way, endorsed by Trump, unfortunately. There was a primary at the time, District 23. And we're stuck with these handful of Republicans where even when we were able to get McCarthy to go along with the Freedom Caucus, go along with leader, you know, to, to go away from the typical leadership modus operandi, you'd have people like this sandbagging us on every issue. But there is a guy running, and not just any guy, but a really special person. He was actually on my show years ago. Some of you who are new obviously don't remember. But Victor Avila, he is running against Tony Gonzalez, District 23. Um, while he, he was an ICE agent, ICE HSI, while on official assignment in Mexico on February 15, 2011, Special Agent Avila suffered multiple gunshot wounds and survived a violent ambush by the Los Zetas cartel, where his partner, uh, Agent Jaime Zapata, tragically lost his life. He was killed in that thing. Um, if you guys want more background, I don't have time to talk about that today, but if you want more background, just look up 
See our podcast, episode 425, The Story of the Ice Agent Who Survived the Mexico Benghazi. That's what I called it at the time. That was about four and a half years ago I had Victor on. But today he's wearing a different hat. He is running for Congress in a primary. Victor Avila for Congress.com. And you could follow him at Victor Avila TX on Twitter. And you could hear him right now at Blaze Media. Hey, Victor, it's been a real long time. Welcome back, and thanks for joining us today. I appreciate you having me back, Daniel. And uh, I never thank you publicly, but thank you for writing that uh, endorsement for my book that I wrote a couple of years ago, Agent Under Fire, uh, that explains a lot about what you talked about and what happened to me. But also, the end of the book talks about what I know and my expertise, and that's border security. And if you read that book today, you think I wrote it yesterday because it is so relevant with the information that I put on there when it comes to the wall, sanctuary cities, asylum, but not just that, but solutions that I I would offer. And some of those that I wrote there a couple of years ago, I would love to implement uh, somehow with my position in Congress. But you understand this is all has to do with uh, this regime and uh, uh, doing this deliberately. This is on purpose. This has nothing to do with our laws. This has nothing to do with our constitution. They have dismantled and, uh, you know, they said, by the way, the left said that they were going to defund ICE. Well, not only did they did not only have to defund them, they just took away the authority of the Border yep. Patrol and the ICE agents, which is actually worse. And it's and it's it's so bad down there. I want people to really understand the border conditions are so bad and now spread throughout the whole country that some people are still not understanding that. I tell them all the time, if you become a victim at the hands of one of these illegal aliens in your town, it's too late. Uh, whether it's a theft, whether it's a violent crime, whether it's murder, rape, whatever it is, it's too late. We need to do something about it now. This administration is not going to do it, but we will change it in 2024. And I want to bring those uh, expertise that I have when it comes to the cartels, human trafficking, uh, the impact and the foreign policy uh, experience that I have and the impact that that has, uh, not just on the district in 23 that I'm running in Texas, but my goodness, it's affecting everyone. And every, as you heard this before, every state is a border state. And that is so true now more so, than ever. So, Victor, you know, here's the problem we have now. I, I fear that the border issue and the cartels, no one talked about the cartels last last decade. I did. Obviously, you were one of the earliest uh, you know victims of them. And, you know, but now it's become cool. I mean, people like Tony Gonzalez will say, yeah, border security, the cartel. He'll say the same thing every state. a border is the problem. We need border security. You know, Republicans are doing to the border issue what for many years they did with guns, taxes and abortion. You know, on paper, they're they're very much, you know, for that. You know, on paper, every Republican is a border hawk now on paper. OK, just like it's become part of all those issues. But then when push comes to shove, we don't get that. So what's wrong with Tony Gonzalez? And what what are you going to bring to the House that will change what we've seen all year, which is they they, they talk a big game, but when it comes to leverage points, they do nothing? Uh, that's a great question. What's wrong with him? I'm going to give you a list of some of the votes that this guy has casted in D.C. But I'm going to tell you really quick the big difference between him and I. I bring integrity, and I bring the power back to the people. I don't want it. And this is what people have been asking for. We have woken up 
And I am that person. I'm telling you right now, I'm, uh, you've been asking for this person. Give me a shot to be there. I will be the voice of the people. But Tony Gonzalez has betrayed us in District 23. He voted for January 6th committee. He, Like you said, he killed probably the best border security bill, H.R. 29. He single-handedly killed the bill. And uh, he voted against uh, 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 gun restrictions. He, he, he voted in Texas, if you can believe that, to restrict our Second Amendment and in favor of red flag laws. He just voted a few weeks ago to have drag shows in the military. This guy is out of control. He's not only not just a, not a Republican. People say rhino. I don't even think he's a rhino. He's a full-blown Democrat and is trying to play both sides. And, you, and you're absolutely right, Daniel. All of a sudden, he's all about the border. He goes down there with Elon Musk and pretends to want to do something about it. I'm not a pretender. I'm the real deal. I'm a person that's lived it, worked it, and been there and done it. And actually, it's personal to me. As you mentioned, I almost lost my life. And I know exactly the imminent threat that we face. And not just to cartels. I'm talking about China. I'm talking about Iran, Cuba, Venezuela, that this government continues to uh, appease and be in favor of. This administration is in favor of everyone else except the Americans. And it's time to put America's first back in line at the top of the line. And I'm going to be part of that solution to do that. Whoever ends up in in, uh, in the White House uh, in November of 2024, I want to be part of that team. Of course, I'm talking about a, a Republican here that will change that. And I tell people all the time, do you want me down there that's going to be part of the solution? Or do you want to keep Tony Gonzalez and continue to go against the will of the people and literally block bills and vote with the left? That has to change, and I'm going to be able to do that in March. No, I mean, th this is the problem. Everyone's focused on R versus D, but qualitatively, if you allow people like that in, their majority is worthless. I mean, it is abundantly clear Republicans will, if they succeed in next election, they will still have a narrow majority. They'll be lucky to have it. I mean, this is a whole other story, but our lovely friend uh, Justice Kavanaugh, <laughs> with his ruling, has likely given Democrats four or five more seats in the House. So even if, even if they have a good year, it's going to be narrow. And you can't afford to stock the party with ranks of people like this and keep being held hostage um, and having to negotiate with him, you know, guys that are to the left of leadership, as you noted. Um, I wanted to get back to the cartels because I think you're the best person to address this. The mentality of our government for years has basically been like this. Yeah, we'll we'll allow people that behead and and torture, kind of like Hamas and and ISIS, to run both sides of a border. Have scouts in federal lands in in Arizona and in Texas run our border, but you know it's just drugs, and they don't really want to kill Americans at this point. They want to draw too much attention to their business model. So you know it's not really a military objective. And it's not such a concern because at the end of the day, the cartels don't really have a beef with us. What would you say about that? <laughs> that is naive to say the least. And let me tell you, just because they're not killing us with bullets and bombs, they're killing us with counterfeit pills. I don't know what the difference is. To me, death is death and terrorism is terrorism. I think these cartels should be designated as foreign terrorist organizations. But a real designation, the one that comes from the State Department to actually put them in the same 
designation as ISIS, as the Taliban, because I believe that's exactly what they are. They've been terrorizing Mexico and us for years with the violence, with the, the pills. But the bigger picture here is I want people to understand, if you really look at the breakdown, and even though the cartels are highly sophisticated networks, billion, worth billions of dollars with a lot of intelligence, they're actually the soldiers. And if the soldiers are that big and that sophisticated, who are they the soldiers for? They're the soldiers for Mexico. They're the soldiers for China. They're the soldiers for uh, the other countries that I mentioned. They're the, the pushers and the makers. But if, the, if they're that big and making that much money with the movement of human beings and trafficking, by the way, the cartels are not just drug cartels anymore. They're in, involved in the lime trade, the, the petroleum trade, uh, the avocado trade. For goodness sake, I did a, a, a news story the other day. They're involved in the jellyfish trade in, in Mexico. These guys have a hand in everything. And so uh, who are they work for? They don't care about killing us. They're, they're there for uh, you know power and money. And so maybe the ideology is different than that of the Middle East. And, and it might not be a religious ideology. But to me, I don't care what the ideology is. The effect of their actions are the same. And I don't remember ISIS ever killing 200,000 people here in the United States, but the cartels have uh, through the help of China, through the help of Mexico, and we're not holding them accountable. I want to hold the, uh, you mentioned the power of the purse. Well, the, the, the Republicans have it, but we still continue to give all this money to all these countries, so, starting so, with Mexico. So, Victor, on that point, how do you bring with yourself a sense of mission to you unify some of the disparate voices on the right that are very divided because what i'm finding is the right part of the house gop conference doesn't have a unified strategy and everyone else has one uh underlying principle one guiding principle and that is they fear a government shutdown more than they fear the future of our country how do you break that cycle because like obviously if you don't use the budget brinkmanship, even if you have all three branches, the Democrats are going to have a filibuster enabling minority in the Senate. We saw this in 2017, 2018, when Republicans capitulate to the Democrats in every budget bill then because we can't have a government shutdown. How do you break this we can have a government shutdown business? Well, well for a couple of things. One is truth. I'll bring truth to what's going on because of my experience. But I've lived through government shutdowns as a government employee. But I also have done things in my career where I don't like the excuse, Daniel, especially in Congress. Well, the, the, the House says we're not going to do this. We're not going to pass this bill or we're not going to do our action because it's never going to pass the Senate and we're never going to. I don't care. I want to flood, flood them with bills. Let them make the decision. Let them kill the bills. Let the president veto them. That's the that's that's the way it should work. Put it on their court. I did this in my career many, many times. Imagine if I would have said, well, I'm not going to conduct this Chinese smuggling organization from China, Mexico to New York because eh, it's never been done before. And I really don't really know what the what the solution is or the outcome will be. I don't tell my son that plays soccer, hey, don't play the soccer game because you're going to lose. That's not the way it works. I have done it. And I a lot of times I was successful and many times I was not. But it didn't keep me from trying. And that's the difference that I see with this with these Republicans. They already make up their mind before they even draft the bill for crying out loud. Send it, do it, pass it and shove it down their throats, because that's what we need to do yeah. and held them accountable. Let them shut the government. I'm OK. 
we're not going to, nothing's going to happen if we shut down the government, but we're going to have to wake people up and say, who in fact was actually responsible? We did our thing. We did our part. Have them, you know, act. And, and, and look at what happened with the continued resolutions uh, under the new speaker. We folded again. We had the opportunity to say, here you go. And whether it's with border funding or not, you know, yeah, of I course, mean, the, the, the land funding, mm -hmm. but not for security reasons. Yeah. Yeah, no, nothing, nothing matters. Nothing matters. They, they I mean, I joke around. They keep on giving money to the Border Patrol, but to let people come in. Well, yeah, no, I mean, that's what the Senate Republicans are working on now. Border funding means one thing. It means catch and release. You know, funding without policy changes is meaningless. It's kind of like sending Israel uh, funding, too. They want in the same, you know, bill and then having the Biden administration impose a ceasefire. So it's, it's, a, it's a policy problem. It's not a funding problem. But what I wanted to get to, a lot of people are going to say, well, Victor, you know, you need to create a majority and you need to win these sorts of districts. And in Texas 23, it's it's kind of used to be a you know, big Democrat area, maybe changing a little bit, but it's a, it's a close sort of 50-50 district. We need people like Tony Gonzalez to hold such a district. What would you say to those people? Well, he's already he's already voting with the left, uh, so they don't need a uh, Democrat challenger, <laughs> even though they have some there. But by by the way, District Twenty Three has become an R plus five, and so they redistricted, and it's it's pretty solid red now, um, mm. despite being on the outskirts of San Antonio and the outskirts of El Paso. It it avoids those blue areas and a lot of rural areas and and a lot of rural counties in this district. By the way, who's affected there in the rural areas? The ranchers. And the, they continue to deal with the illegals coming and destroying their lands. Uh, we have China buying 140,000 acres there in, in Del Rio, Texas, next to Laughlin Air Force Base. I mean, these are real issues. And by the way, we haven't even touched on national security. You mentioned uh, Israel. I was there uh, this past summer in Israel, and I was thinking, you know what? This is an incredible border security. I wish we had this in the United States and or at least implemented because they only not only have the physical and the manpower, the walls and the fences and, and the technology, but they have the policy behind it to do it, regardless of who their prime minister and president are. Right. But with, and, I, and then now this happens. And I'm thinking if that could happen <laughs> to yeah. Israel, we have a broad, wide open Be, border. Because and, it's not. And I'm glad you brought that up, Victor, because that, that's an important point, because it's not an infrastructure issue. Too many people said, oh, maybe they have, there have good infrastructure. It's a political will issue. And in both borders, both here and there, that, that was the problem. A lot of people were wondering how the heck did that happen in Israel? Almost the point that a lot of people were you know, postulating on, on both the left and the right, you know, oh, did Israel do that on purpose? But I think now you see why it happened for what they're doing now, that they are crushed by the American State Department, that makes it that they cannot root out Hamas. Like, well, how do they build all these tunnels? Don't you know about it? Of course they knew about it. But every time they try to go in there, they say you're killing civilians. And it's the same thing here. Now, it's a little bit different. I mean, it's not quite as kinetic yet, but eventually the cartels will be that kinetic as you learned and experienced yourself. But it's more on the immigration angle. It, everyone's like, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we need to score the border, border. The Democrats say that too, right? But then, oh, but you're going to shut down all the asylum, which is a.k.a. the invasion? Well, yeah. Oh, no, no, we can't do that. It's a political problem, 
And, and that's my fear of Republicans. And I think this comes back to Tony Gonzalez. If you ask him on paper, should we have a border invasion? Of course not. Then, then he'll say, should we get rid of the fake asylum? No, that's cruel. Well, okay, well, that's the whole invasion, right? He called it, he called HR 29 unchristian. Uh, And he said the reason he voted against it was because uh, people wouldn't be able to come and seek asylum, which is completely a lie and false. And I'm going to tell you a quick thing that I haven't said publicly that he did. And Chip Roy uh, uh, told me this personally. He called me because Chip Roy put a lot of examples in that bill. And H.R. 29, if you know, H.R. 22 absorbed a lot of the H.R. 29. Not all of it. It it was a watered-down version of it. But one of the things that made it into H.R. 2 was examples of cartel violence against Americans. And Chip Roy had asked me, Victor, can I use, obviously, your ambush and Jaime Zapata? I said, of course. Please put it in there. Tony Gonzalez would not vote yes on H.R. 2 unless that our, our ambush was removed from them. <laughs> this is the type of person that you're dealing with because I'm running against them. This has nothing to do. This is we're talking about national security. This yep. is the this is we're talking about public safety and which is more important to him. Our example and my name being in there uh, uh, affected him more than the protection of his constituents. And that is the difference between him and I is that I want to put them first. If you don't have public safety, Dan, you know this at every level, at the local level, state, federal, that's the number one responsibility of government is to protect their citizens. And look at the crime rates for crying out loud that we have in this country. And then you add, because uh, I go around the country speaking to a lot of police departments and sheriffs as a public speaker, and they tell me, Victor, now now we have this crime, crime wave. Now we have people coming from all over these countries yes. committing new crimes, and we still have the same amount of police officers. And our budget is still the same. Nothing same. has changed. It's funny, Victor, you didn't know this before I brought you on. I talked about Chicago as a perfect example. Everyone knows it's a dumpster fire um, with you know insane amounts of domestic crime. And then there's a new stat out. In 2021, there were six Venezuelans, Venezuelan nationals arrested in Chicago. Just two years later, now it's close to 700 um, as, as of November. So they're having that layered on top of it. Um, I agree. This is a winning issue, but we don't have Republicans willing to press it. Look, we barely scraped the surface here. Where could people find out more about your campaign? Go to Victor Avila for Congress dot com. Help me with some donations. They they you'd be surprised how much they help me. They will help me in traveling over the eight hundred and thirty four miles of this district to get me to the Holy primary. Smokes. <laughs> it's it's is it's that the biggest, the biggest district? Not, probably is in, in, in Congress. It really is. And uh, I'm putting a lot of windshield time on my pickup truck. And uh, and I love it. I love being in front of the people. I I want to listen to them and, and and their problems. And a lot of it, by the way, all over, all over Texas, Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston, uh, Midland, and uh, I'm going to Florida for crying out. People want to hear about it over there because they're affected as well. Connecticut. So uh, the the help can come from everywhere because you will have a positive impact after I do something about this down there. Awesome. Well, well, thanks for putting yourself on the line again. I mean, there's no purpose in having an ice. Uh, you know, with which you've served, if we cannot come to some sort of political solution here, and if we have the same Republicans, then we're going to get the same results. So again, Victor Avila for Congress.com, Victor Avila TX on Twitter. Hey, Victor, good luck on your campaign and keep us updated throughout the duration. All right. I appreciate you, Daniel. Thank you so much. God bless. So folks, that was Victor Avila, longtime friend of the show. Been, been years since I've had him on. 
But this is a classic example. We all complain, oh, it's terrible, woe is to me. A guy like Tony Gonzalez is exactly why we can't do anything with a majority like that. We have a very viable guy with a compelling story, compelling background, largest border district, might might be the largest physical landmass district in America, uh, in, in, in the House, uh, so all of Southwest Texas there. And, you know, he's running and he was... He was the ICE agent who was almost killed by the Zetas cartel. Uh, that's all another thing that was, we believe it was an inside job by the by the government working with the cartels. And make no mistake about it, the same way you have pro-Iranian spies in the admin, um, in DHS you have, I mean, it's saturated with pro-cartel elements. And, uh, I mean, he, here it is. You don't even have to recruit. You have the candidate, okay? Do you want another Chip Roy? With an even more compelling sort of background, you know, he's Hispanic is a strong Hispanic district, and he was an ICE agent. Or do you want another, you know, pure leftist Republican, where you lose the minute the primary is over, regardless of what happens in the general, because the guy is a Democrat. You know, we, we complain, and then you know, whatever. Trump endorsed the guy last time. I don't know if he did this time, if he's waited in yet, but he definitely endorsed him last time, and. Uh, Folks, look, if we had a focused movement, we, we had this one time, one time in history, it was people who voted to impeach Trump, and there was a movement, and most of them either lost or were forced out, and they retired. But imagine if we made it on border, on crime, on, on you know, the, the, the biomedical tyranny and all issues we care about, gay marriage, all this stuff, that if you cross us, you're persona non grata, at least in a primary. But we don't have a movement. So I'm going to try to elevate as many of these people as I can. Um, let me know your comments, questions, concerns. Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com. We're just getting started. We're going to have a very productive week. Tomorrow we'll have Liz Collin on um, of Alpha News in Minneapolis, the creator of that documentary, The Fall of Minneapolis. What's going on with the Derek Chauvin stabbing? orchestrated probably by government there as well um one of the greatest lies in human history uh the whole hamas gaza civilian thing is kind of like you know the, israel is like the new Derek chauvin in terms of that so it's very important at a time like this let me know your questions for liz till tomorrow god bless y'all and thank you for listening